Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen, and I'm joined by guest co-host Nick Doody. Hey, Nick. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Andy is currently indisposed for reasons that I can't currently answer. But uh, <laughs> but I'm sure you'll find those answers to why he can't be on the show right now soon. But for the moment, you can't have those answers. Uh, so we've got... <laughs> So we, questions? No, yeah, you, there, there are many questions and answers, uh, but we cannot currently answer those questions. So Andy's Andy's not free to record today, but we've got friend of the show Nick joining us, and thanks for doing that, Nick. That's all right. Um, I'm not clear how I'm a co-host and not just a guest. Uh, a guest co-host is. I mean, I don't. I don't know anything. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll put the articles up there, and then you, I don't know. You could you could join in reading them if you so choose, or. Or also, I'm just making you co-host because you've done the show several times before, and and Beth yeah, yeah, hasn't. Sure. Oh, I've just already given away half of who it is for the people <laughs> who haven't read the t- the title of the episode. It's it's good friend of both of us, comedian, writer, actor, member of the Doctor Who universe, and now Twitch streamer. It's Bethany Black. Hey, Beth. Hello. <laughs> hi, hi, Matt. How you doing? Hi, Nick. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How's life over in Manchester? Oh, it's fantastic. Well, I moved out of Manchester about eighteen months ago. I'm now back in a little tiny town in in Lancashire. Uh, which, if you know anything about the northwest of England, it's in between Preston, Lund- uh, Preston, uh, Manchester, and uh, Wigan, and it's nicer than that sounds. Um, it is. That, that's, a, that's a horrendous triangulation, but... Yeah, it is. It some, is. That's a, the worst Venn diagram going, but somehow, apologies to our Wigan, Preston and uh, <laughs> Manchester oh, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a really nice sort of little place where I'm living, and uh, yeah, I'm up on the side of a hill. Uh, essentially, I think I'm on the other Pennine, the other side of the Pennines from uh, Nick, equidistant from the top of them. Uh, so, you yeah, probably really are just about, yeah, where are you? Which, which town? Uh, we're in Adlington. So just outside Chorley, that is so, pretty close. So yeah. you could walk towards each other and meet on the top of a mountain. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're an hour's drive away. Let's see, see how long a walk you are. Yeah, yeah, you're a mere eleven hours thirteen minutes away by foot. Well, you know, if we both set off, we could do that yeah. in easily five and a half. <laughs> Google always underestimates or overestimates how long it takes to walk as well. Oh, yeah, massively so. Google Google used to... When I used to use Google to get around cities I was in, it, it used to go... It used to stop working at the speed... I walk fast enough that Google says, please confirm you're a passenger in the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> but that is because you went and set it up to how long it'll take you to get there by rickshaw. So, you know... Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you've given up... You went through that weird mode of transport phase, didn't you? There was a sedan chair and a... <laughs> But just you, just you carrying it yourself. It was very odd. It was just just a misunderstanding. I thought when I bought the sedan chair, I thought the man was saying, sit down. What, a sedan chair? Yeah, obviously. What do you think I'm going to do with it? I didn't understand that a sedan chair was a a thing in its own. I thought I was just getting a sedan chair. (laughs) Just just sitting in there rocking. Why isn't it moving? Why is it not going anywhere? (laughs) This... Uh, this this thing's a waste. Um, 
Hey, Beth. Um, yes. Before we get into stories, we always like to ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from lessons at school and teachers that you liked or hated to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends to whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was really into science at school, uh, but I was also a complete arsehole. And uh, I managed to get hold of a copy of like the Anarchist Cookbook when I was a teenager, which was like the holy grail of bad things for teenagers. That, that's, to... that's a great book at any age. <laughs> yeah, to get hold of. And so and I was friends with all of, like the proper nerds at school who would go and make their own fireworks and stuff. Um, and uh, I was never any good at doing that sort of stuff. So I used to like, I, I mean, I was banned from... <laughs> this is where my love of science got me. I was banned from uh, all of our school trips uh, <laughs> bringing fireworks. Um, <laughs> I, Wait, every school trip? Every school trip. I was banned from every school trip because I, uh, yeah, I, I, we went to France and I bought some fireworks, which is what you're supposed to do when you go to France. Yes. And you're, uh, that's pretty much it. That's I don't, you're I to don't do. know. I, that, I always thought it was flick knives. That was what... It's, that was what yeah, our lot used to come back with. Because obviously most of the listeners are going to be like in the US or Australia. You don't understand that if you're of a certain age and you grew up in Britain, when you went to France, everything was just much more legal. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like the, the certification on films is much more lax. Um, yeah, and you can you buy more drunk. <laughs> yeah, much more drunk, uh, and you and I later lived. Yeah, they just sell France. cigarettes to twelve-year-olds. Yeah, and they yeah. also have shops that sell like mace and tasers and <laughs> like yeah. dart guns and throwing knives. Yeah, they had all that sort of stuff, and I got dead excited, and I couldn't afford a taser, so I bought some fireworks <laughs> and brought them back. <laughs> and, I, and I sold them to other kids at school and I would have got away for it but there was a kid at my school who had one arm and uh, before I oh, sold well, him the fireworks right, okay. and uh, I got the reason I got banned was because his mum came in to complain because he'd been setting off fireworks on the palm of his brand new prosthetic hand and it beat him on the scorch marks on it um, wow and immediately named me as having sold them to him uh <laughs> I was told I wasn't allowed on any more school trips ever again, uh, which I think was totally unfair. Did so he mean just to, to be clear? He, he was to you... name you, or was he just stuck pointing? <laughs> <laughs> he just immediately named me. He just went, he just immediately said it was me that he bought them off, and yeah, and so I got in terrible trouble for that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, when I was suspended from school, I wasn't even suspended for that. I was suspended from school for swearing at a teacher, which was our science teacher, um, uh, whose name. I, I mean, I'll call him Mr. B you'll you'll have to bleep it out later on. But he was uh, an evangelical Christian who told us uh, as we were doing evolution, he went, now it is a theory. It's just a theory. You've got to remember this is just a theory, but, right, it's not necessarily true, but, and this was that was his way of, uh, of, of teaching science. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, he got very, very upset. With, he, he was like, he was an arsehole to me the entire time I was at school. He was like constantly making homophobic jokes and stuff all the way about at my expense throughout my entire time at school. Uh, and at one point got really, he was one of those teachers who would just sort of like get explosively angry and uh, got really angry with me at one point for, I can't even remember what it was I'd done. Uh, and I just happened to say, oh, I can see why your wife left you. At which point, <laughs> with a temper like that, I can see why your wife left you. And uh, yeah, and, and that was me suspended from school for a week. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say worth it. Totally worth it. Absolutely worth it. So my love of science was always hamstrung by uh, people with rules, I think. 
But that, that that's such a common thread on this show. So so many people who I suspect just knowing what they're like now would have really enjoyed science lessons if they'd had a teacher who hadn't been that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, who, who didn't 100%. have like a personal animosity towards you and everything about you? Yeah, yeah, that would yeah help. exactly. Yeah, that would have helped. Like that really, really sort of put the kibosh on me becoming like a physicist. Like honestly. <laughs> Yeah, because like I, knowing you now, I think you have the kind of brain that would have really thrived in science lessons had you had a teacher that was the right kind of teacher and had encouraged that. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's that and history. Like both my science, and my history teachers absolutely detested me, and those are two things that I'm really, really into and managed to do quite okay at, at school in spite of all of that. Um, but never really sort of went off to go and do anything with it afterwards. Uh, two things that I would have been really, really interested in, and uh, you know, because I'm, like, I'm really into science, like I'm constantly trying to read uh, up on on new stuff. I get dead excited about things. Um, <laughs> like I just I because I because I'm autistic. I I get really I get like um, hyperfixations on things. I mean I'm, I'm autistic and I have ADHD, so it's like a constant <laughs> battle between my brain going. You need to have fixed order and rules that you can't possibly ever follow because you can't <laughs> remember what they are. Oh um, man, you're like a population. Yeah, exactly. It's so fucking hard to, to sort of like get any of those things. But when I get focused on something, I'm like, right, that's it. This is my thing now. I'm going to have to learn everything about it. Um, and about three years ago, that was everything about sort of like how the brain works in 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 terms of sort of like um, psychology and how um, uh, emotional um, about how emotions work and how we process emotions and, and on an emotional level um and then over the last two years my like hyper focus has been economics which has been really fucking dull for everybody else who's got any contact with me <laughs> uh i don't know I, i'm enjoying your economics post that you put up from time to time well it's that thing i tried to learn economics to try and uh <laughs> basically it was an attempt to try and make myself feel a little bit more uh, a little bit less worried about right-wing governments being in power because i was like well Surely they must know what they're doing. They keep winning the economics argument, don't they? They keep pushing it and, and like, essentially to try and make myself feel okay about that. And then the more I learned, the more I went, oh, no, they are actually just trying to make up an economic theory to back up what they were going to do in the first place. Shit, this is terrifying. It's, it's <laughs> the done the exact opposite of what I wanted. With, with, with economics is that people just bring their prior convictions to it and then pick the economists they like. Yeah, totally, totally. And what was really what what I found like really bizarre was I deliberately set out to try and find economists who sort of backed up the opposing view to the one that I had. Because I remember like Nick and I once had a really really cool, really interesting conversation about how the uh, about confirmation bias and how the best way to try and uh, prove yourself uh, to prove uh, a theory that you think is to try and prove yourself wrong rather than to try and prove it right. And so that's something that I've always tried to do with as many different in, in as many different ways as I can. And so I tried to do that with economics and like deliberately tried to search out people who went, oh, they'll completely disagree with me. Oh, what's this? The guy who used to be uh, one of the head chief economists for the IMF. Oh, right. Yeah, of course, he's going to be sort of he's going to be on that Iron Rand side of thing. Oh, fuck. No, actually, he completely agrees with me. Um, it was really difficult to try and find ones that like that sort of like completely changed that because so many people, the way that our uh, economic systems have been set up is essentially to go and reinforce 
what people were going to do anyway. It, it's it's been reverse engineered from this is the end point. How do we get to saying that this is a good thing in a way that we can convince other people of? Because that's essentially what they keep trying to do. But yes, I'll go off on one and get super. Yeah, which is that. the exact opposite of how science should work. Yeah, although exactly. it does sometimes work that way. Where people are like, how do we how do we prove this? But yeah, the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, police detective work often is, we have a hunch. We think it's this guy. Right, let's try and find all the evidence to show that it is. Like, no! If you think it's that guy, try and prove that it isn't. And if you can't do that, then it's definitely him. Right. Uh, <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's get into some stories, because uh, we've, we've had a couple of episodes in a row with a with an author and talked about their book so we've got a bunch of stories stacked up from listeners who've sent them in and th- this one's a fun a fun little light thing to kick us off that was sent in by listener andrew miller thanks andrew i'm just going to pop it in the show notes there as well so you could see it it's about regrowing teeth i don't know <laughs> <laughs> this is fr- so it's the press release from the university of fukui which i'm i'm gonna guess is somewhere in japan uh, yeah. I would guess Koyo- so from that. It, well, yeah. also it says, Kyoto it, it University. It says Japan at the top. It does say Japan. There we go. Um, so a new drug to regenerate lost teeth. Uh, the antibody for USAG1 shown to stimulate tooth growth. Uh, I mean, this is going to lead to some terrifying mice, isn't it? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> does oh, it- them, oh my god, it's made entirely of fucking teeth. Um, well, the first thing I want to find out is, can it only regrow the teeth that were previously there, or can you grow extra teeth wherever you want? I mean, yeah, because if you can, then this is going to lead to some bizarre, like, Wolverine-style yep. uh, <laughs> superhero. Uh, like, uh, I mean, yeah. it could be the new body mod as well. You know the, you know the way people have started putting, like, <laughs> co- coral underneath their skin so it grows into horns? I say started. This yeah. was about ten years ago when they did that. What do you, but, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what do you mean people have started doing that? That, that, that was a, yeah. in the world of extreme body modifications where just piercings isn't quite enough and tattoos... There are some people who've discovered that if you put coral, un- you can put coral underneath your skin, like underneath your forehead, and discovered you end up discovered sort of- that if you put coral underneath your skin on your forehead, <laughs> they, they hypothesised after a diving accident, people discovered <laughs> <laughs> people discovered that shark bites are painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you said it like people have started doing this. Like, why haven't you? Have you? <laughs> A lot of people say. A lot of people say that a you should people, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been. I've been hearing a lot of people talking about this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what would be interesting in this point if you could grow them anywhere? It's like you know all those people who overplucked their eyebrows in the nineteen nineties. Um, <laughs> just, just something with two rows of teeth there. That would be. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, this is like quite frightening. And the oh, the, the picture that's included is. Uh, yeah. Well, no close-up picture of teeth is pleasant. No, I'm not no, sure about the sentence. Uh, tooth loss is a widespread problem in wise guys who don't know when to shut it. <laughs> <laughs> so cu- currently, solutions to this problem involve artificial teeth or implants, but these aren't as good as real teeth, and they don't markedly improve quality of life. So now, scientists <laughs> from Japan have made a discovery that can make regrowing teeth possible. They found with animal studies that suppressing the gene USAG1 by using its antibody, can effectively lead to tooth growth. This is a, a little bit of I mean, weird, colourful editorialising from the university. Um, the tooth fairy is a welcome guest for any child who has lost a tooth. 
Not only will the fairy leave a small gift under the pillow, but the child can be assured of a new tooth in a few months. The same cannot be said of adults who have lost their teeth. <laughs> what I like, like about this is that this now means that they... Ha- I mean, it's, it's it's in a journal that the tooth fairy exists. Uh, yeah, it's it's, a, it's not, it's this has been actual, peer-reviewed. This has been yeah, yeah, peer-reviewed. Yeah, yeah. The tooth fairy definitely exists. I mean, this is wonderful. This According is to the University of Fukui, the tooth fairy is a welcome guest for any child. Yeah. <laughs> you can now cite that in other papers. Yeah. The fairy, the fairy say the Japanese researchers, will leave a small gift under the pillow. <laughs> so... A, a new study by scientists at Kyoto University and the University of Fukui, however, may offer some hope. The team I mean, reports I'd have the... led with that. Sorry, I'd have led <laughs> with the tooth fairy existing. I mean, that is even more impressive than generating new teeth. They have very much buried the lead on this one. They really have, yeah. This is from the Department of Dental Regeneration and Cryptid Studies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the team reports that an antibody for one gene, uterine sensitization-associated gene, uterine, okay, okay, Okay. can stimulate (laughs) tooth growth in mice suffering from tooth agenesis, a congenital condition. The paper was published in Science Advances. Although the normal adult mouth has 32 teeth, about 1% of the population has more or fewer due to congenital conditions. Scientists have explored the genetic causes for cases having too many teeth as clues for regenerating teeth in adults. According to Katsu Taka- uh, Takahashi, who's one of the lead authors, the fundamental molecules responsible for tooth development have already been identified. Takahashi says the morphogenesis of individual teeth depends on the interactions of several molecules, including BMP, this b- bone morphogenic bone protein. Morphogenetic, morphogenetic protein. protein. And WNT signaling. So they're involved in much more than tooth development. They modulate the growth of multiple organs and tissues well before the human body is even the size of a raisin. Consequently, drugs that directly affect their activity are commonly avoided since side effects could affect the entire body. I remember reading um, years ago about um, how in the human genome there are all sorts of inactive genes that are active in other species. So that you know, um, like salamanders that can regrow limbs, have you know, there's a gene involved in that. That is, that it's just it's there in the background in the human genome, but it's not it's not active, as it were. Were you reading this in the Amazing Spider-Man? By any chance? I was not. Uh, I'm actually remembering now. I think I was hearing it on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Ah, right. So it wasn't Kirk Connors. Right. Okay. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but the, so they thought, like, wow, maybe you know, if you activate, if you're able to activate this in uh, in um, other animals, including humans, maybe we could regrow arms and things. Uh, but the problem is that if if you activate it in mammals, uh, you get cancer like immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you're going to grow a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, like you know, yeah, because quite often people are like, "Oh yeah," and they found a tooth inside a tumor. You're like, "Yeah, holy shit!" Good news, you can regrow this leg. Bad news, we're going to have to immediately amputate that leg. Yes, (laughs) because it will have teeth. (laughs) (laughs) So this USAG one interacts with both the BMP and the WNT. So as a result, several of the antibodies they tried led to poor birth and survival rates of the mice affirming the importance of both BMP and WNT on whole body growth. But one promising antibody only disrupted it with BMP. Experiments with this reveal that the BMP signaling is essential for determining the number of teeth in mice. 
Moreover, a single administration was enough to generate a whole tooth. Subsequent experiments showed the same benefit in ferrets. Ferrets are diphodont, uh, diphodont animals with similar dental patterns to humans. Our next plan is to test the antibodies on other animals, such as pigs and dogs, explains Takahashi. Because that's the one thing you want, is a dog with twice as many teeth as it's yeah. supposed to have. And ferrets and <laughs> and, la- and pigs. We've welcome, actually, welcome to the most terrifying got. lab in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep your fingers to yourself. Yeah. You don't want to get... We've actually got, because, um, um, you know, dogs um, die fired on as well. A diphyd on being an, an, an animal that has two successive sets of teeth. Okay, right. So you get, you have your milk teeth, and then they, and then you get your yeah. teeth. Uh, so when we have um, a, still quite a young dog, we got a, a lockdown puppy uh, who is amongst the cutest things known to man. And when her teeth fell out, which you, you kind of don't think of that as happening. Yeah, I, did, I honestly teeth. had no idea that was a thing that happened with dogs until yeah, the second. Yeah, it does. So. Um, yeah. I think we still have some of them, because my wife... I don't know what she wanted to do. She went, oh, we'll keep them. They'll be really cute. And now they're just somewhere in a <laughs> dirty glass. Well, that's, well, like, that's the thing when I met my partner. Like, I've, t- I've, I've told this story on stage, but genuinely this happened. We'd only been together for a short amount of time. when, um, <laughs> like, Because I will say things without... You know when you say something and then suddenly realise exactly what it sounds like? I once said to her, <laughs> I love you so much. I just want to eat you up and make a necklace out of your teeth. <laughs> and... <laughs> And that is a very creepy thing to say to a new partner. Um, it is the fact that that bit. that relationship stuck around. Well, yeah, it did. And then about uh, about three weeks later, we were watching TV, and she was stroking my face and went, "You've got lovely skin. I wonder what you'd look like without it." And that was when I knew that she was the one for me. <laughs> that's that's a beautiful. That's beautifully romantic. It is, isn't it? It's. <laughs> um, can we see a recent picture of both of you, please? <laughs> yes. Just holding up today's newspaper, just for no reason. <laughs> so this study is the first to show the benefits of monoclonal antibodies on tooth regeneration, and provides a new therapeutic framework for a clinical problem that can currently only be resolved with implants and other artificial measures. Conventional tissue engineering is not suitable for tooth regeneration, says Manabu Sugai, another author of the study. Our study shows that cell-free molecular therapy is effective for a wide range of congenital tooth agenesis. So there you go. You could soon be growing more teeth wherever you choose. I I still don't know whether it only grows where teeth are meant to grow. I I presume that's the case. I mean, I really hope it's not. I really hope. I really hope you can just sprinkle it on someone's garden and ruin it. <laughs> just, just accidentally spill some in the lab on you. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh shit. no! Oh no! Yeah, all of oh, my I'm going to have leg have teeth now. With teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Playing yeah. tricks on people by going and uh, sprinkling it on their toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> Which I mean. Yeah, there's no good outcome to that. No, there isn't. There is no good outcome. They either outcome. hurt them or they look behind them and go, what, I didn't eat. Did I eat teeth? I don't... Um, well, here's another nice story about weird ways of creating things. Put that in the show notes as well, and I'll also find out who sent it in in a second. I'll re-look up. But the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs 
gave birth to the Amazon rainforest, according to a new study. Aww. Isn't that lovely? I thought you were going to say, has confessed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, members of the public are advised not to approach. Uh... Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm... I'm now. I, I made the mistake of searching for Amazon rather than asteroid in my emails, and now I've just got a load of shit from Amazon. <laughs> Do you want to buy a new asteroid? Yeah. So you like tall women. Asteroids also liked <laughs> fossils. Uh, <laughs> um, hang on a second. This one says it's first of April. Are we sure this one's legit? <laughs> well, th- this. It also Paul says. It also says in. Earth. You know where the last one says Japan. This one says Earth, 1st of April. This was a study in Earth. It does say 1st of April, but it was also on the BBC website. So it's either a long con or New Scientist and BBC are in on the same thing. So today's tropical rainforest came about because of the huge asteroid strike thought to have wiped out the dinosaurs. Before the asteroid hit the Yucatan Peninsula and what is now Mexico, South America's rainforests were made up of vastly different greenery than the abundance of flowering plants they now contain. Carlos Jamarillo at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute in Panama says, if you, re- if you return to the day before the meteorite fall, the, the forest would have an open canopy with a lot of ferns, many conifers, and dinosaurs. The forest we have today is the product of one event 66 million years ago. To be honest, if you returned to that day and you didn't say anything, you'd be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you'd at least have to bring a couple of dinosaurs back with you. Yeah. Jam- Jamarillo and his... Uh, Jaron Millo, apologies, and his colleagues analysed tens of thousands of samples of fossilised pollen and leaves found in northern South uh, America that dated to that part of the Cretaceous period just before the asteroid hit and just after the impact in the Paleocene epoch. They found that plant diversity declined by 45% after the impact and it took 6 million years to recover. Insect bites on fossilised leaves showed that insect diversity also took a nosedive. The rainforest of South America changed in the aftermath of the catastrophe. Most of the cone-bearing plants and ferns disappeared, and the rainforest became dominated by flowering plants called angiosperms. A thick canopy only allowed a little light to reach the ground. So Ellen Carano at the University of Wyoming says, I think the number one lesson here is unpredictability. When you and have the these number m- two lesson is, wild pigs will eat your fish! <laughs> When you have these major perturbations, they change the rules of the whole ecosystem. So they have really, theory- that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the best thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, yeah. It turns out what we've discovered from this study is if you go and throw a huge rock that kills almost everything, it'll go and change the ecosystem. Mm. Apparently does. Oh, yeah. Who fantastic. knew? Who knew? Insect diversity took a nosedive. I like that one. So, uh, yeah, one of the things they don't talk about when the dinosaurs died is all the stuff. Flies got kind of samey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Insect diversity just sounds like those shitters cover band. <laughs> you go to any insect high street now; it's just the same shops. It's just yeah. What, what happened to what happened to variety? What happened to originality? Yeah, just another insect top shop. So, Jared Millo and his colleagues suggested that there are several reasons why the asteroid may have caused this major change. For one, the impact probably killed most of the large herb. Uh, herbivorous dinosaurs that once trampled down and ate the lower levels of the forest. Yeah, no shit. Yep, that, no that shit. would probably, it's do probably Jaramillo, by the way. <laughs> His name is probably uh, Jaramillo rather than Jaramillo. Oh yeah, you're you, you're almost certainly right. Uh, uh, but I like that. Yeah, and from uh, the fossil record, was, is, is this one of the most like squashed bits? 
fossil record. (laughs) Super compressed and worried looking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be wonderful if they got like fossils so detailed that like Tuesday, a lot of frowning, a lot of yeah. frowning fossils. <laughs> and one guy who just looks like no one's believing him right now. Yeah. <laughs> one fossil pointing towards the sky. Yeah. yeah. And the other, and another one just waving him away. Yeah, and then sort of brontosaurus go. Oh! What's the use of a long neck now? Just going to get hit first. <laughs> Plus the... <laughs> you're just... You're crying meteor again. Plus the ash that... The ash that settled out of the sky after the impact may have se- served as a fertiliser, creating a nutrient-rich soil that favoured fast-growing angiosperms over other plants. Angiosperms also appear to have been more ecologically diverse before the impact, which would have made it easier for some of them to bounce back afterwards. Bonnie I have been misreading that word, angiosperms, because I, I got contact lenses in, which isn't great for um, for reading. And um, I thought it said I thought it said anglosperms, which I, I, did, I was like, <laughs> what the? That's, that's what Boris Johnson leaves behind in his nighttime yeah. visits. <laughs> Whereas angiosperms almost sounds like a Greek god. Yep. <laughs> but just just one that you don't want to keep around for that long. Yeah. <laughs> Very curly hair. Angiosperms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just does look like a high street hairdresser, doesn't it? Um, we love the way that it, it ended up, this incredibly diverse, really structurally complex forest. But right now we are living through a mass extinction caused by humans. And again, whole ecosystems are being set on a different path, says Bonnie Jacobs at Southern Methodist University in Texas. In the case of the Bonnie rainforest... Bonnie Chabobs. Oh, thanks, yeah. <laughs> Bonnie Chabobs. Uh, in the case of... Bonnie Chabobs. In in the case of the rainforest, we might like the final product, but all those animals that were alive in the Cretaceous did not, she said. Understanding how this major event shaped shape the rainforest... such a fantastically low bar on what counts as a joke. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It probably wasn't that nice to get wiped out. <laughs> they certainly didn't like these conditions of years of darkness. What they were not into. A meteorite hitting them. <laughs> That's, um, that, she, she sounds like such a like a buzzkill, doesn't she? Oh, you like this? You like this forest? Do you like it? But it's built on death. <laughs> you might enjoy it, but if you were a dinosaur, you wouldn't be saying that. Yeah. You say that, but you might. We haven't seen what she looks like. She may well just be a goth, and like this is her like. Who like it's the ultimate in in uh, goth jobs, isn't it? Talking about the largest extinction level event of all time. <laughs> I, Slightly. I, I pity her if she's a goth. If she's a goth, called, I called Bonnie at Southern yeah. Methodist University in Texas, <laughs> where she would be accepted fully. <laughs> So understanding how this major event shaped the rainforest can help us put into perspective how these biodiversity hotspots are reacting to deforestation today and how long they could take to recover. At some of the places we studied, I could see right in front of my eyes how this forest has taken 66 million years to to build, was gone in a day. And this rate of deforestation was staggering. This is Hamario talking again, by the way. We know from this study that it takes a long time to build these diverse forests back. You can't chop down the forest and think, oh, tomorrow I'll plant more trees. 
Is he kind of is he trying to shame the asteroid? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think the comment is that we are currently involved in another mass extinction event, but thanks to human activity rather than thanks to half a planet slamming into ours. Right. Mm. I say half a planet. I think it was substantially smaller than that. I think if it was half a planet, then there wouldn't be an Earth. But Yeah, it's sort of smaller than the moon, right? Yes. Yeah. I think, I think substantially way. smaller than the moon. Um, yeah. It doesn't need it's to like, be. It doesn't need to be very size. big. It doesn't. Well, an asteroid the size of about of a of a like a family car hitting the hitting the planet uh, would be enough to wipe out almost all of us. Let's see how big they think it was. How big? How big? How big a family? Dinosaur. <laughs> Killing. Well, you know, I'm thinking, uh, I mean, I don't know, because obviously there's a lot of, uh, there'll be a lot of Americans, uh, I reckon, uh, I mean, oh, uh, smaller than a Ford Galaxy, put it that uh, way. Are we talking like the Griswolds? Possibly, yeah, a station wagon. Yeah, 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 if a station, it's, uh, yeah, an asteroid the size of a station wagon. <laughs> here, here we go. So they think it was it's enough ten- to kill us all. But yeah, go on. They think, they think this one was tens of miles wide. Right. W- which is pretty massive. Yeah. That is and a the- big family car. The crater that it left was spans 93 miles and goes 12 miles deep. So t- tens of miles wide, but that is still orders of magnitude smaller than the moon, but but still very, very big. Is, is that the one that they didn't realise that it was there until they managed to sort of fly over it and look at it and went, oh my God, yeah, all right, okay, here we go. Let's, this is what the crater... This is... All right. This is where it must have hit. Let's see. Discovery. In 1978, this is on Wikipedia now, geophysicist Glenn Penfield and Antonio Camajo were working for the Mexican state-owned oil company, uh, Pemex, as part of an airborne magnetic, magnetic survey of the Gulf of Mexico. Penfield's job was to use geophysical data to scout possible locations for oil drilling. In the offshore magnetic data, Penfield noted anom- uh, anomalies whose depths he estimated and mapped. He then obtained onshore gravity data from the 1940s. According to Penfield, the, the old data showed a large concentric set of onshore gravity anomalies. When I laid it next to my number two pencil mapping of the offshore magnetic anomalies, it was perfect. Uh, it was a perfect fit. A shallow 180-kilometer diameter gravity magnetic bullseye on the almost non-magnetic uniform carbonate background of the Yucatan platform. We recognize the crater as the likely Cretaceous Paleogene boundary event. Wow. And then we drilled the fuck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> we pumped everything we could out of this area. spit in the face of God! <laughs> <laughs> fuck you for killing the dinosaurs. It, it is actually... I don't, I don't know if there's a, a, a nice symmetry, a horrible symmetry to the fact that the thing that caused the previous mass extinction event is was discovered by the thing that's causing the current mass extinction event. <laughs> it's just like a really, really unlucky place. Yeah. This might be like the sixteenth, uh, like worldwide extinction level event that's been started in that particular area. Uh, it, it's almost. I mean, are we sure that this isn't a place that Stephen King has been writing about? Yeah, everything's set in the same crater. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair. Sometimes he sets stories in uh, Colorado. Uh, Does he? Sometimes yeah. Sometimes he has writers have bad things happen to them in Colorado as well. That's. Mm. Uh, Oh, yeah. And sometimes in Crouch End. Yeah. Really? <laughs> what? what? Yeah, there's a there's a Stephen King story set in Crouch End. Is there really? I, di- I didn't know that. I think it's called Crouch End. Oh. 
I had no idea. Crouch End being the part of North London that Nick and I both lived in for many years. Yeah, I, I'm going to look this up now, but I, th- I think they made a very, very bad film out of it. Out of it. Like Crouch End Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Was that the one? Because uh, that was absolutely nothing like North London. <laughs> Crouch End is a horror story by Stephen King set in the real-life North London district of Crouch End, originally published in New Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos. I'm not up to that one. I've been, again, one of my autistic special interests, I've been reading Stephen King's novels in order, um, and I'm up to uh, The Green Mile, so I haven't got up to that one yet, so I'm dead excited, now that I know Mm. that there's one that's set around there. It, it was adopted. It was adapted into um, an episode of TNT's Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Oh, uh, and it was rated by Brian Pope of DVD Verdict. Rated the episode D plus. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> the story doesn't work on television. <laughs> oh, so it's like the fourth best Stephen King adaptation. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, you have what's... a list, don't you, Beth? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's Where's the dead zone? Oh, actually, I really love the Dead Zone. I think uh, I think I think the Dead Zone is like a, a genuinely just a good film. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think I've um, seen that. There's uh, it, Christopher it's the, Walken's it's the acting first, in it. Is yeah, it's also it's made by uh, David Cronenberg. I think it's yeah. the first feature film he made that he didn't write the story of. Although I think he, I think maybe he wrote the screenplay. I'm not sure. Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's really sort of close to to the original story as well. I think that's the thing that they managed to... that they Whenever they try and do a Stephen King adaptation that they get so badly wrong is when they try and <laughs> either do something that is absolutely nothing to do with the story or they completely forget that 90% of everything that Stephen King writes is about how the character's head is working, um, which is really difficult to get across in film, but Cronenberg managed to do it really, really well with The Dead Zone. But but then when they adapted The Running Man, it was it was nothing like the book and uh, had almost none of his like internal thing. And it, but it was amazing. It's probably the best yeah. film ever. So <laughs> the greatest film. It's yeah. It's, it's the, so weird. Uh, I mean that that got to the point where you... Citizen Kane, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of watch that and thinking, why did you pay for the name? <laughs> it's so <laughs> far from the original. You could. You could well, like like I'll, Stephen King. If he went, you've stolen my idea. He would lose in court. Well, yeah, that's not close enough to the book. There's well, a, I love it when they do stuff like that because you know the original Spider-Man uh, movie that Sam Raimi did. Um, originally, the the original rights for it had been bought in the mid 1980s uh, by I can't remember exactly who it was by, but they bought it for something like two hundred thousand dollars and completely misunderstood what Spider-Man was. And so we very nearly ended up with uh, a film directed by Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, Toby to- uh, Hooper, yeah. Yeah, of uh, Spider-Man, where Peter Parker plays a guy who does ID photographs at a large corporation who gets experimented on by a mad scientist and turns into a sort of, like, were-spider. Um, <laughs> oh, like like the like uh, the end of Wild Wild West. Yeah, pretty and much, yeah, yeah. That's a spider yeah, yeah. I don't, I'd have watched that. Yeah, yeah. The, and that was um, very nearly the Spider-Man movie that we ended up with. Also, the the, 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 the second. Sorry, sorry, go for it, Nick. Well, I was going to say the other one that leads to mind is the, the Lawnmower Man. 
which is a yes. movie a, based on it, it claims based on a short story short by Stephen story King by Stephen called, King. and it's yeah. just nowhere fucking near. Yeah, it at absolutely all. is not. No, I, I think maybe two of the characters have the same name, but other than that, it is like so completely. Yeah, like the the, the, the story is like he's like a pan-like figure, isn't he? He's like a sort of yeah weird demiurge type sort of you know like a fawn covered in flowers something like that i recall and the the movie is about uh a young boy being uploaded into the internet (laughs) yeah and it has the it has the least scary supposedly horror payoff of any film ever which is i am now part of the internet i'm gonna make all of the landlines in the world ring at the same time (laughs) oh that's right that's right i'd forgotten that but the, the Ooh, other, the, the other one I was just thinking that came to my mind is that Bill Cosby's follow-up TV series after the Cosby Show, the one that was just called Cosby, was yeah. supposedly adapted from the UK show One Foot in the Grave, and the only the only thing that it's basically carried over as the premise is that an old man is slightly curmudgeonly. Like I, I don't, I honestly have no idea. Again, why? Fair play to David Renwick, who probably made a fair amount of money out of that, but so, good work him. But I honestly just, I don't know how you can just say, like, oh, yeah, well, well he's, he's an older guy and he's, you know, he's a bit grumpy sometimes. So huh. it's clearly adapted from this show. There we go. When we, um, you know, like I did, I did uh, languages and linguistics as my background, right? And um, when I was about 17, I think, I went and spent some time in Spain to try and get my Spanish a bit better before I was doing my exams at school. And while I was watching the TV there, because foreign TV is always fascinating, I was watching a Spanish sitcom that I gradually realised was just Faulty Towers, (laughs) but remade in Spanish. And then, so that was the and, and Spanish I, waiter Manuel. Exactly right. So in the Faulty Towers, the original, there's this Spanish waiter Manuel, which is like verging on pretty racist about certainly the way he's treated. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Oh, they just made him Italian, yeah. <laughs> and, and treated him with exactly know, the Spani- same contempt. Because <laughs> as we all know, Spanish is just Italian with a lisp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there um, they've been at least I think there've been three different American Faulty Towers adaptations, including one with Whoopi Goldberg. Yes, there has. Uh, there was one of them that they showed on, in the UK in sort of like the late nineties. But yeah, there was, uh, and I think that was like the second one that they made because the first one that they made, they tried to do it without. They just got rid of the Basil Faulty character, <laughs> and just went, oh yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be great if we just get rid of him, <laughs> just have the rest of it. Uh, one of them was called Pain. Yes, that was the one. P a y n e. Yeah, and that one did receive the blessing of John Cleese, and starred John Larroquette. Yes, I remember watching that uh, late night on ITV in the UK in the late nineties. Oh, uh, I can. Steam, uh, sorry, I've got it because it's been a nice day here, and this room's kind of stuffy. I had a window open. Uh, can you hear anything in the background? Or is it still good? No, okay. uh, I can't pe- hear anything. People are cheering now because. Uh, oh, yeah, you know what's happening right now in England, Matt? No, what is happening right now? Well, they're lifting lock, lockdown rules so people people can go to the pub tonight for the first oh, time in a very, so, so, very long time. So I, I couldn't hear it at this end, but maybe our listeners can. If you can hear cheering, that is the sound of 
COVID being transmitted. <laughs> well, that was it. Right at the very beginning of this, I could hear a drunk guy in our street arguing with himself. Uh, so he's like 2am drunk and it's, well, it's, it's like, it was just after seven, it was just before seven o'clock here. So he's clearly made a full day of it. Great. Which is good to see that good old British spirit. <laughs> uh, by the way, while we're talking about COVID thing, one of our listeners called us out for frequently ignoring the fact when we're talking about people staying at home and isolating, ignoring the many people who can't do that, including him. So, sorry, we've been dicks on that sometimes. You were right. Uh, oh, as in key workers and people who are still... Yeah, exactly. Like, we're sometimes just like, yeah, it's, we'll, it's, we'll it's, just it's... ignore the fact that many people have no option but to stay at, uh, to stay at home, rather, but to not stay at home. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I, I think there's a real. I, I, I had uh, the vaccine today. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Which well one? Done. I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to say to that. Like, because I, because I, I, yeah, I've, I've also had my vaccine, but it's also like, oh, well done, great, good for you. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Well, it's one of those things that uh, it's weird because uh, I'm not that old. <laughs> there's a bit of me. I don't go on about it. Because I know that there are people who still haven't had it who are like older than me or they're waiting mm. stuff. I mean, we got because basically where we live and the fact that we volunteer uh, to help out vulnerable people, all of the volunteers in Calder Community Cares got offered the vaccine. Yeah. So yay, cool. But uh, they panicked a bit when they today when they. Um, gave it to me because they, there's a you know they're dealing with a lot of people very quick and they so they go through this checklist and uh, okay and you this and you that and you that and you're not on blood thinners and i'm like i am on blood thinners and she went oh and so you know hurriedly scribbling out where she's ticked and then she starts uh what, what are you on i'm, I'm on a pixaban a pic, pixie what oh <laughs> and she sort of starts you're not allowed P- any pixies. pixies. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm strictly no pixies, and I've got to stay away from food uh, from the uh, uh, food. What the, um, from the tooth fairy? Also, um, I, I'm looking this up. There, there was no Whoopi Goldberg Forty Towers adaptation, so I don't know what I was thinking of. The, the three American, <laughs> the three American adaptations were the first one was Chateau Snavely, starring Harvey Corman and Betty White, and then and then there was Amanda's, starring B. Arthur. Which had a, yes, I, I, I don't know how I've somehow have I confused B. Arthur with Whoopi Goldberg. I don't know how I've done that. Easily uh, done. Similar voices. That's the yeah. thing. Uh, and then the third one called Pain with John Larroquette. Mm. So B. Arthur was the gender switched Basil Fawlty in the second yeah. of the adaptations. Oh, yeah, awful um, shows. <laughs> just to, to to finish um, what I was saying, so that she she sort of panicked and brought the um, brought the doctor in. Because because I told her basically I had heart surgery five weeks ago, and um, congratulations, thanks, <laughs> and I've got one now. Hooray! Um, but uh, she was suddenly going. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we can give it to you. I don't, oh, but I don't know. yeah, you can. It won't. It won't affect it. It's just like they they you ask they ask about blood thinners because it means it's gonna. It may might bruise more and you might bleed. And it did. It did bleed. And there's a. You know, there's a big, very obvious bruise there. But she was really worried. And she went and got the doctor and, you know. And then um, you have to wait for 15 minutes afterwards. There's a room you go into, um, or at least I did, um, where you have to sit for 15 minutes to make sure you don't suddenly feel ill. Yes, to make, it's to make sure you don't have any kind of sort of anaphylactic reaction. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's just that. And, and she came in to check on me. 
She was really worried because it did, like, you know, normally it doesn't bleed and mine bled and things like that, but it was really minor. And I even told her the reason they're asking that is because it might bleed a bit and bruise. It's not... Yeah. I had a very similar thing as well because I had mine about... Uh, I've had my first dose uh, three, four weeks ago. Okay, um, cool. I'm, Yeah, I've got my second one coming up um, at the beginning of June because obviously in the UK we've gone, ah, 12 weeks, that's enough. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did that because I... Yeah, it's, it was the first time I'd been out of the house in nearly a year to go and get that because we both me and my partner are, are, are at uh, group six they call it which is uh, increased risk of contracting and dying from covid because uh, of various different health problems oh you and, guys are an amazing checklist we are yeah <laughs> between, between us you. we've got yeah. pretty much everything we ju- genuinely like the only time i the only time i'd left the house other than like um once when i had to go to the pharmacy i managed to break my teeth last year which is you know it, uh, i well, thank God that's not the problem it used to be. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> I didn't see the tooth fairy or anything. Um, you know, in that first part of lockdown when everyone was making banana bread, uh, I got a little bit overexcited and managed to bite on a fork full of waffles and uh, broke my front teeth and had to go and get them fixed. Oh, shit. <laughs> got to the dentist, he went... He went and the dentist just went, well, you shouldn't bite down on a fork. I was like, yeah, <laughs> kind of... Yeah, I kind of know that. This wasn't my idea to go, oh, do you know what? I haven't been out for a while. Let's go and have Thanks a day for out. What's that open? One. What the, the fucking fuck dentist? That's like, that's like the guy in the emergency room going, well, you should just drive and not crash. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, Next time, not doing on purpose. What, what I do when I'm driving is not crash. And yeah. I highly recommend that. By the way, I just looked this. I just while we're st- I'm going to get off the faulty towers translations thing for in a second. But I, <laughs> Matt, you I, obsessive I, fuck. Like I, do, no, I just want our, our individual life experiences. And you get no. I found another thing. No, hang on. About the trivia that we were looking up. I because because I I can't let this go because you are correct that in Spain. It was initially a flop because of the portrayal of Manuel, but then it was successfully resold with Manuel changed to Italian, except in Spain's Catalan <laughs> region where Manuel was Mexican. <laughs> but there you go. Wow. They re- they redubbed oh, wait, wait, him. Wait, wait, wait. I was watching it in Barcelona. Maybe he was maybe he was Mexican. But I remember it was Italian. They must have been watching the the Castilian have, version. <laughs> yeah, they must have been getting the Madrid feed. I mean, I could follow it well enough. It definitely wasn't in Catalan. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fucking awful by the way when you're you're getting ready for your spanish exams and you go to spain and they send you to a region where it is quite common to speak a language that sounds quite similar to spanish but isn't right oh, your God. confidence just drops away oh shit i oh I, and I you spanish already spoke french really well so and catalan kind of linguistically sits sort of between french and spanish yeah, well, the, the, well, this is also the thing that's just reminded me because, like, in the last week, um, Sana, my partner, who's Swedish, her mum had got in touch and said that they're up, they're tightening the law on Swedish citizenship um, until it, it looked like until this week that just by having been in a relationship with my partner for ten years that I could get dual English uh, Swedish citizenship. Uh, but now they're adding that you have to be able to speak Swedish. And Sana immediately panicked and went, so you've got to learn Swedish, and then started talking to me only in Swedish, <laughs> as if as if it was all in my head and I was just being awkward by not being able to talk it. <laughs> this day was always coming, Beth. Yeah, so now I'm starting to learn it. And what I've realised is that her and her family, because she's from sort of like the south of Sweden, and I didn't realise that, that she has what is technically in Swedish an incredibly farmer accent. 
<laughs> I, I've met her and that immediately makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she chews straw a lot for someone yeah, who's not been does. outside. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she absolutely does. Um, but also, and constantly has like, proverbs with... about sky colour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the time. All the time, non-stop. But apparently, like, the, the, the little bits that I've picked up from talking with her, she's like, oh, shit, no, that's sort of, like, not even real Swedish. It's kind of like a babyish language that me and my mum speak to each other. Yeah, it's like, just about <laughs> explaining why cows lie down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the fuck's that? Have I married the village idiot? Is that what's <laughs> happened here? There's a there's a rule as well if you uh, move to Norway, um, which a friend of mine, a friend, a friend of mine who did physics at university is a university friend of mine, and he went on and did a PhD in linguistics, um, you know, like you do, mm. and he's now kind of a professor of linguistics in Oslo. But if he wants to live there really long term, you have to learn Norwegian and sh- and do an exam to show that you can speak it well enough, or another Nordic language. Is interesting. <laughs> that is and, interesting. Well, it's really interesting because, and I was going to ask you if it's the same in Sweden because uh, what he was doing, what with him working in the Department of Linguistics, was really leaning on some guys of historical linguistics to prove that English is a Nordic language, <laughs> <laughs> which you can well, kind of argue. You can, because so much of Swedish I discovered is just English in a Swedish accent. Yes, that's right. There are so many words that just cross over. Uh, yeah, it's like there are so there are so many things. Like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm now just trying to find an example. And oh, just you're my blank on it. Yeah, the moment no, you give yourself you can't that job, have any of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, no, there are loads of them where it's sentences, and it's like, okay, this is literally just English, but in a Swedish accent. Okay, cool, right. If I should be able to get by. But as I learned the first time when I went there, because everyone, everyone, when I said I was learning Swedish, just went, you don't need to. Everyone there speaks English. And they don't, uh, especially not in a little village in the south of Sweden where I stopped off at a petrol station and, or a gas station and a woman tried to talk to me. Uh, and I went, oh, you're um, obviously into Svensk. I don't understand Swedish. Uh, so she just shouted it slowly at me. <laughs> it's nice to know that happens in other countries. Yeah, it's a universal thing. It's the one universal language. <laughs> well, while we're talking about universal things, there's a there's a physics story, a, a big physics story from this week that came in exactly two days too late for us to cover it uh, with previous guest Professor Michio Kaku. Uh, it's, it's fine. Me and Beth are here. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We know this. Yeah, we got we, this. We've got this. So, we previously we... had string theorist and uh, expert in particle physics, uh, Michio. Uh, so, Beth and Nick, muons, strong evidence found for a new force of nature. Oh, well, this was on the cards for a long time, wasn't it? Uh, I think. Is this I think the BBC.com say... thing you just posted? Oh, yeah. Oh, muons, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm jumping over the first paragraph. And it's... I think we can all say we were expecting that to happen. Uh... Uh, can I, could I uh, ask why you're skipping over the first paragraph? I've just seen one of these, so I, I know first why. The first paragraph is wonderful. Ugh. The first paragraph BBC. is the equivalent of physics. Love it or hate it, it's here to stay. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that level of terrible, awful writing. I'll you have to read exactly what it is right now. about gravity. 
from sticking a magnet on a fridge door to throwing a ball into a basketball hoop, the forces of physics are at play in every moment of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Physics, have you forgotten how good it tastes? (laughs) Without physics, we just go and throw the ball and it'll just carry on going. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In in some other subject. (laughs) (laughs) The ball's exploded. That's chemistry, you idiot. (laughs) It's moving. Surely that's geography. Bal. (laughs) So, all of the forces we experience every day can be reduced to just four categories. Uh, Gravity, electromagnetism, the strong force, and the weak force. But now physicists say... Earth, air, water, fire. <laughs> Humour, proprioception. Ticklish, ticklishness. <laughs> Something the French call doubt. <laughs> and, and dot. Angst. <laughs> now, now physicists say... Uh, now physicists say they have found possible signs of a fifth fundamental force of nature. Is it the love? Fi- <laughs> the- <laughs> Is it Andre the Giant? (laughs) (laughs) The findings come from research carried out at a laboratory near Chicago. The four fundamental forces govern how all the objects and particles in the universe interact with each other. For example, gravity makes objects fall to the ground. That's a fairly simplistic way of putting it. Wow, that is uh, is highbrow. (laughs) And heavy objects behave as if they are glued to the floor. Surely, every one of these forces has people who can bend it, right? There's (laughs) an airbender and there's a. So, so the UK Science and Technology Facilities Council says that the result provides strong evidence for the existence of an undiscovered subatomic, subatomic particle or new force, but the results from the muon G2 experiment don't add up to a conclusive discovery yet. Is there strong evidence for both the strong force and the weak force? Uh, yes. Or is there weak evidence for the strong force and strong <laughs> evidence for the weak force? <laughs> they, they both do important things. They both... They both basically keep atoms together. One of them keeps. I like the... how the. <laughs> I like how the picture three quarters of the way down is the matter stone from uh, the Infinity War. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Ah, oh, so that's good. So at least now all we need to do is just worry about uh, an invasion by Thanos. Yeah. Now that this has been discovered on Earth. So um. So it says there, there is currently a 1 in 40,000 chance that the result is a statistical fluke. Uh, and you need a 1 in 3.5 million chance of it being a f- coincidence to claim a discovery. Oh, someone's at the front door. That's... Thanks, babe. That, that also just scared the shit out of the cat that's right next to me. <laughs> Which, by the way, when you were talking about I Stephen would... King earlier, was sleeping with his eyes slightly open in a really creepy way, just looking straight at me. Well, I heard the little bell, and I didn't want to assume that it was the cat. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's the bell that I ring when someone rings the front door. (laughs) And then I drool. I've I've been doing experiments on myself for the last year. Ah, right. (laughs) It's like Matt's wearing his bells again. (laughs) It's so that I don't eat birds. Yeah, it just scares (laughs) the birds off before he can get to them. (laughs) You know what he's like, he's a bugger for that. Yep. Always at them. <laughs> By the way, this this cat doesn't go outdoors. The only reason he has a bell on him is so that we can find him in the house. <laughs> it is. 
that just so that we know when he's coming an an indoor cat it's just such a spit in the face to evolution (laughs) (laughs) but but also an outdoor cat cat is a a vicious killing hunting machine and i exist inside a house and nowhere else (laughs) but it's okay because we simulate hunting and killing with ribbons and things on sticks Oh, wow, I had, like, an image in my head of you and Holly. (laughs) (laughs) For I am doing rhythmic gymnastics. Yeah, to to keep the cat uh, entertained, we we (laughs) reenact. We reenact the 1984 Olympics gymnastics. (laughs) (laughs) We've we've set up parallel bars in the living room as well. It's quite... Yeah, anyway, so your cat's got a bell because your cat is a tiny Morris dancer, right? I That's exactly what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hear him probably just jingling there in the background. Yeah. So Professor Mark Lancaster, who is the UK lead for the experiment, told BBC News, we have found the interaction of muons are not in agreement with a standard model, which is the currently widely accepted theory to explain how the building blocks of the universe behave. Clearly, this is very exciting because it potentially points to a new future with new laws of physics, new particles, and a new force we have not seen to date. The finding is the latest in a string of promising results from the particle physics experiments in the US, Japan, and most recently from the Large Hadron Collider, which is on the Swiss-French border and straddles both countries. <laughs> did I ever tell you about my gig that I did where I gradually, through the course of the gig, realised my audience was really smart and not sh- not at all sort of superstitious? <laughs> 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 the gig was in Geneva. Ah. And what? I grew out of that. So, oh, what do you do? I'm a particle physicist. What do you do? I'm also a particle physicist. <laughs> <laughs> then it all worked the Dodge Hadron Collider. Particle ha- physicists all the way down. <laughs> yeah, amazing, yeah, down, down to the turtle. How did the how did the superstitious thing come about? We... Oh, right, this was uh, this really dates how... God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> the, the, there was a lot of stuff about religion in my set and then you know around the time it was it was vaguely exciting to not believe in god <laughs> and, and and at one point i'm like just you know i never wanted the thing to be just a slap in the face of people have faith or anything like that but i just want how you could just tell from the way they're reacting they're going yep yep that's right does anyone here believe in god and nobody in the room did <laughs> all right what do you do uh, I work at CERN. Oh, holy <laughs> shit! All right, <laughs> every like everyone at the gig was a physicist. <laughs> so, the pre- to, to continue the quote from the from the researcher, he said, oh, "I've been no, 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 please. I've been looking at all my career. I've been looking at all my career for forces and particles beyond what we know already, and this is it. This is the moment I've been waiting for, and I'm not getting a lot of sleep because I'm too excited." You have it's the fact before that over. he says his spidey sense is tingling. Yes, that's yeah. the bit I like. Yeah. Is is the spidey oh, sense? Did I, the oh, new I did force? jump over a. I did jump <laughs> yeah. over a spidey sense sentence. That's Professor Ben yeah. Alanak from Cambridge, who was I was quoting there, not the previous Ben Alanak or Ben Parker. Hmm. Yeah, hey, he's uh, he's Never not s- going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> so the experiment based at the Fermi National Accelerator Lab. Fermilab in Illinois searches for new signs of new phenomena in physics by studying the behavior of subatomic particles called muons. They are building blocks of our world that are even smaller than the atoms. Some of the subatomic particles are made up of even smaller constituents, which, while others cannot be broken down into anything else, they are fundamental particles. The muon is one of these fundamental particles. It's similar to the electron, but more than 200 times heavier. 
The muon G2 experiment involves sending the particles around a 14-meter ring and then applying a magnetic field. Under the current laws of physics, this should make the muons <coughs> wobble at a certain rate. Instead, they you- found they wobbled faster than expected. This may be caused by a force of nature that is completely new to science. But no one knows yet what it does other than influence muon particles. Theoretical physicists believe that it might also be associated with an as-yet-undiscovered subatomic particle. There is more than one concept for what this hypothetical particle might be. One is called a leptoquark, another is the Z boson, or Z boson, depending on which country you're in, or the Z prime boson. Last month, physicists working at the uh, LHCB experiment at the Large Hadron Collider described results that could point to a new particle of force. Dr. Mitesh Patel from Imperial College London, who was involved with that project, said the race is really on now to try and get one of these experiments to really get the proof that is that this is really something new. That would take more data and more measurements and hopefully show evidence that these effects are real. Professor Alanak has given the possible fifth force various names in his theoretical models. Among them are the flavor force, the third family <laughs> hyperforce, and most prosaic at all, B minus L2. All right, all right. He doesn't this get guy. to name it. Yeah, <laughs> the flavor force. That sounds like uh, sounds like a toothpaste. <laughs> well, yeah, and it sounds like Public Enemies, like in, in comic that they had made. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, it does, doesn't it? It sounds like one of those things that may, you know maybe it's to persuade children to eat their vegetables. We've invented these new. <laughs> The flavorful third family hyperforce. That sounds like a nineteen seventies funk band as well. That's <laughs> yeah. I just think he doesn't get to name it. Yeah, yeah. So this fifth fundamental force, possibly a fifth fundamental force, might help explain some of the big puzzles about the universe that have exercised. Yeah, with naming science. a great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. For example, the observation that the expansion of the universe was speeding up was attributed to a mysterious phenomenon known as dark energy, but some researchers have previously suggested it could be the evidence of a fifth force. Dr. Maggie Alderin-Pocock, who's co-presenter of the BBC Sky at Night programme, told BBC News, it's quite mind-boggling. It has the potential to turn physics on its head. We have a number of mysteries that remain unsolved, and this could give us the key answers to solve that mystery. And the number of people who are going to go, yeah, yeah, physics is wrong, therefore God. God, 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 <laughs> yeah. God, 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 told you, God. Could that fifth force be Jesus? Uh, <laughs> my son. <laughs> I am B minus L2. <laughs> B minus L2 was in all of you all along. <laughs> I am the son of man, but I was named by Professor Alanact. <laughs> yes. Maybe the real flavour force was the muons we met along the way. <laughs> Also, I'm, I'm not sure about the description of a muon as like an electron, similar to electron, but 200 times more mass. I think being 200 times bigger or heavier than something makes you, makes makes you, you not dissimilar like it. from it. <laughs> Especially when, like, the defining characteristic of that thing is that it doesn't have any mass. Electrons have mass. Oh, do they? They do. Yeah, they... it's just very, very I thought little. That was why, I thought that was why they could manage to travel at the speed of light. Um, because they don't have any mass. Oh, hey. I'm checking now. Ele- electrons hey, electrons have am. a very small mass, right? Do they? I, I, I think, I, think I, so. I am prepared to be wrong, but I thought that that was, that was one of those pieces of information I had at the back of my head that went, oh, yeah, I, the, I, I have this fact. I am comfortable with this fact. I am now about to be proven wrong. You, you are, I'm afraid. The, the, 
the yes. mass has a t Gary. the electron has a tiny mass though the, the mass Aww. has been calculated or evaluated at uh, 9.1093835 times 10 to the minus 31 yeah they're they're, they're 1836 times less massive than a proton ah. i mean they they're not heavy <laughs> no it's not like we've gone from, you know, oh, yeah, it's not like I've gone from, oh, they have no mass to, no, they weigh about the same as a small family car. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, uh, like an electron fell in the Yucatan <laughs> Peninsula and, uh, uh, 65 million years ago and wiped out all that. Oh, fuck, right, okay. And it, here we go. Um, I'm right fool of myself there. Electrons, <laughs> electrons actually travel at a mere 1% of the speed of light. Well, they would do with that sort of weight on them. Yeah, they're carrying that... <laughs> Yeah, you're carrying that around. You're not going to be able to travel much faster than 1% of the speed of light, are you? Well, not at first. No. <laughs> with a, with a, with a big enough hill. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Back to the Future went wrong. We should have been sending, like, electrons down a hill. That would have got them going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they did kind of send electrons down, uh, down from the roof of a building. From oh, a yeah, clock they tower. Did, didn't they? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, so that was how they managed to do it. It was the angle from the clock tower that <laughs> got them going fast enough to send him back. Ah, I, I see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, by, by the way, while we're talking about him, have you, has anyone, have you seen the f movie Nobody yet? Uh, no. No. Which uh, is, is really fun. It's, uh, I highly recommend it. We, we had a great time watching it. I'm just going to see if it's even out in America yet. It, oh, sorry, in the UK it should be, because films come out at the same time now. But Oh, this is the Bob Odenkirk one. Yeah, it's Bob Odenkirk playing an action hero, but the reason I mention it is that his dad is played by Christopher Lloyd. Oh, wow. And he's great in it. It's really fun. It's It's a really silly, fun action movie, which, if you want... If you want just sort of 90 minutes that you can just sit and watch and enjoy, and just be well, that, that's 90 minutes of stu stupid fun. Oh, cool. Oh, good, yeah. That's exactly the sort of thing that I need. We watched uh, Booksmart we, last we went night. Absolutely loved that film. I thought it was, uh, great. I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Loved it. Like, it had that... Yeah, you know when you watch a movie and you went, oh, now I see why the trailer didn't make it look great. Like, you can't... Yeah. But sometimes a trailer is not the medium to put across how good a film is. But it is. Uh, there's so many things that are wonderful about it. Like the, the leads are both fantastic. It's got a proper like bloody movie energy. It's you know it's about two girls graduating from high school who are best friends, but they've uh, just been the, the nerds, and they suddenly suddenly realise that it's their last night, oh, the last chance they have to kind of live it up. Uh, yeah, yeah, such a cool it's, film. It's so wonderful. Yeah, I really, really, I enjoyed it so much. I wasn't expecting much when I went in to watch it. The pictures, and uh, because you know I'm the sort of age where I say I go to the pictures, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the talkies. <laughs> yeah, I went. Yeah, I went to see a talkie. Uh, you know, down at the movie house. And uh, how did you deal with that one scene in. where a train was coming right towards you? Oh, I was terrified. I ran. <laughs> I, I was out of there like a shot. Six uh, were killed I, in the stampede. Yeah. <laughs> I went off down to the soda fountain. It was terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> had to calm my nerves. I had to have some uh, nerve tonic. Um, 
Which but turned on out the, just on to the be other heroin. hand, there was a lovely, a lovely short film, an animated <laughs> feature about a sailor who becomes incredibly destructive on spinach. <laughs> <laughs> He gets the green rage, as it is known. Yes. <laughs> that, that's probably right for a, a, a rebooting. Just a version of Popeye where actually it's just sort of terrifying what happens to him. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like the Hulk. Yeah, and he just he can't control us and he's just like in a blind fury, like roided up. <laughs> just... I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> It'd be great to have done that with Mickey Rourke playing the character. <laughs> Mickey Rourke at his peak as Popeye would have been amazing. Um, we we should probably wrap up the main episode, but Beth, could, are you, would you be able to stick around for a few minutes just to record an extra bonus thing for our Patreon patrons? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but least. for the main episode, we should wrap things up. And uh, Bethany Black, how can our listeners find you and everything you're doing? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter unless you've uh, responded stupidly to one of my jokes, in which case I've probably blocked you. Um, <laughs> I block an awful lot of people. Uh, I'm amazed yeah, I'm, I'm not blocked by you yet. <laughs> You'll never get blocked by me. I, you, I, I adore that. you, Nick. I adore you. Oh, did you know that you're my centrist mum? What? Hey, um, what? There, there was a thing going around, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was when when you could... It basically said it, it, it's supposed to show how balanced your news intake is. Oh, right. And it says, oh, you, you know, X percentage of your news intake is from left-wing sources, X mm. percentage is from central sources. Uh, and you get them mainly through these people, and it was you. <laughs> <laughs> now, in fairness, I think it's a pretty shitty sample, because I don't really get my news from Twitter. But it, I, thought, yeah. I thought it was really funny. I've, I've screenshotted it, and I will, um, <laughs> I'll send it to you, because I was going to accuse you of being my centrist mum. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I try to be, yeah, I try to be, like, as balanced. Well, <laughs> you and I both had the same issue. It said you've got a, you've got a blind spot for um, sources from the right. And we have quite similar, I think I was sort of two-thirds centrist, one-third left, and you were you were not, not a million miles away from that. Ah, right, yeah. But, uh, again, like, I, it's just it's just analysing your Twitter, and I, that's really not how I find my news. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely not how I find mine either. That is not the best way to do it at all. But it was, it was interesting because I was looking at a recent study about um, about how people... Um, and I've been trying to find it again because I was reading it and it was really interesting about how it tends to be that people from the right, who are on the right of the spectrum, don't tend to get their uh, news from particularly outside. They're the ones who tend to get their views uh, parroted back at them, whereas almost everybody else now, as a result of social media, sees more things that they disagree with than at any point in history and has more things to sort of challenge their Really? That's the opposite of what I would have thought. Yeah, well, because like before, before we had social media, and you saw all of these people going and signal boosting things that are awful. And <laughs> have you seen this asshole? Like we didn't all go out and read all of the newspapers and magazines, and then go, "Huh, I am now going to make my decision based on this." Well, we that, that, that's the of... thing about that. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a. Uh, do you know what? I was going to say there's a book on it, and then I thought, I bet I found this book through Beth. But yeah, um, it? <laughs> it would have been a click through about how, you know, the, the kind of myth of the echo chamber. Yeah. But um, the thing is, of course, that you get sent things you disagree with for reasons that are still an echo chamber, right? You, yeah, yeah, you read, you, you read some piece like, oh, oh, my God, this person's a fascist. And it goes all the way through the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So absolutely. it's, it's, it's it, in a, in a yeah, way, look at it's this an shit, artificial... Everyone. 
Yeah, it well, it, yeah, it, 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 it absolutely doesn't show that it's not tribal. Yeah. There's a, there's, yeah, because there's a really fantastic uh, data science book called Everybody Lies, um, and it's... Is yeah, there? Yeah, there is. There it definitely is. Or is there? No, there is. Is there? <laughs> Um, where yeah, and, and uh, it, it sort of like details sort of how we can go and use big data through things like um, Google and that to go and find out more about people's uh, actual beliefs than we can from asking them. Oh, by things like what people search for and what people spend time yeah. on websites, and I mean, that makes yeah, sense. and uh, and looking into the way that they go and use algorithms in things like social media because they are looking for engagement, not enjoyment and so as a result of that you will get shown things which will go and rile you up especially on facebook which is why people like ben shapiro regularly have like the number one um interacted with post on any given day because although he likes to say facts don't care about your feelings he really fucking goes hard on trying to make people yeah, yeah, yeah. feelings well, well like just Tr- Tr- tristan harris points out that uh if like if the youtube algorithm were running a highway it would it would show you a car crash every few seconds because that's yeah. what you slow down. It was what you look at the most. Yeah. Uh, doesn't um, Ben Shapiro and I always forget which one he edits. Is it Daily Caller or Daily Wire? It's one of the dailies. Um, but didn't they find out that there's he has multiple sock puppet Facebook groups that constantly yeah. repost things that despite the fact that that's definitely contravening Facebook rules, that one gets a blind eye turned to it, which is one of the yeah, reasons absolutely. why everything everything posted by that publication somehow gets huge numbers of Facebook links. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. and But yeah, also because of the way that they go and the way that Facebook algorithms work now. Once they realise who's going to like your things, they go, right, there you go, you can have one of those for free. Now, every time you want somebody to see any of your stuff, you have to pay a lot of money. Right. Oh, um, I I, I, see, wire, I do not use Facebook very much at all, and when I, I I I really hate that I sort of assumed it worked like Twitter a, a while ago. I re, like in my head retweeted like a shared you would say on Facebook, um, a thing that was like um, it was one of these things that said, oh by mid by midnight tonight Facebook get the rules get, uh, get the rights to your image or some that sort of thing and, and unless you say retweet this thing that says you don't want them to and it was in, in, in like bullshit legalese and i sort of shared it and then then added another post saying like i there's a bit of me quite likes how many people are sharing this because it's it's putting out there how much people don't really trust facebook and how little they want this to be done to their images and i got nothing but people who were reacting to me sharing the first thing but not what i was saying about it (laughs) because in my head i've just said the a and b and facebook doesn't do that at all facebook goes no a that's the emotive thing no one saw b so basically everyone everyone who follows me on facebook thought oh nick's been <laughs> Nick, Nick believes this thing and has re- retweeted it. Oh, is Nick getting a bit? Oh, he's getting on a bit. Are we going to have to keep an eye out for him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Start yeah. responding way, to chain letters and spam. Um, so when anyway. it tells you that you've got to sign in, that's a fake sign-in page. Don't do that. <laughs> what? I know it says. I know it says you won't believe what they saw in these pictures of you, but you don't click on it. Aww. So anyway, Beth. Beth- <laughs> 
Beth on you are Bethany Black on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That was what we did. Yeah, it's Bethany Black on with, Twitter. With yeah, two I, Fs. I work with two Fs. B E double F E R N I E B L A C K. Um, yeah, I, I worked with somebody who spelt my name phonetically, and that was what they came up with. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a great that story. Yeah, um, that's how that came up with he, like He'd only ever spoken to me and then had to write my name down in some notes uh, when I worked for a credit card company. And it was Bethany, uh, spelt that way. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I use that. And that's also my Twitch handle. I uh, do a uh, I do a Twitch show every, well, Monday to Friday at 2pm British summertime currently. So, 6am uh, Eastern time. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Uh, sorry, no, 6am uh pacific time i can't remember what it is eastern time and it's about 10 o'clock in the evening in uh perth as far as i'm aware because i know that because i have people who come and watch every day from those places and whoever it is who's getting up at six o'clock in the morning on the on the west coast to watch my bullshit i uh i am honored and slightly perplexed by <laughs> that's so cool what's it called uh i do it's my twitch channel uh it's is it a, is a brew and a chat is it? yeah it's a brew and a chat that's what it's called yeah uh, so grab a coffee and a biscuit and uh, yeah come and sit and we'll just talk about whatever is going on in the world that day I have ADHD so I get knocked about all over the place trying to figure out what we're supposed to be talking about um, but yeah it's always good fun it's always ask me anything as well uh, um, uh, uh, and Nick where can our listeners find you um, I'm also on Twitch now that's um, right so, so you just started the thing with Carrie right yeah, with the... Uh, friend of the show, Kerry Marks. Friend of the show, Kerry Marks, oh, who's, uh, who's injured live on this show. <laughs> yes, he was. Show, he oh, on our show, show, yes. magic trick in Australia, and he stabbed himself, I recall. He was... Kerry... <laughs> yeah, you can listen back to it. It was the live episode from Perth, and Kerry was our guest. And it, so it was live in front of an audience, and Kerry used to be a magician, and we got talking... We started talking about sort of charlatans and the like, and he, he wanted to demonstrate how spoon bending worked but we, he asked for a spoon but the only thing that someone in the bar could conjure up was a fork so I because went, oh, they'll, the, they'll do it but they just visited france as a teenager in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> but in the process of trying of bending it which he did you know it looked very impressive but he's like the pressure he had to put on the end of it meant that the tines of the fork just sort of dug into his hand and cut it so suddenly he's like carry your bleeding right now in the middle of our show. <laughs> Uh, but we're anyway. We're doing a, we're doing a Twitch show called uh, Chess with Comedians. Oh, brilliant! Where where you are it's, both it's pretty chess uh, chess heavy. You're both trying to improve your chess, and yeah, we're we're trying to become uh, better at chess. But you, Nick is starting from a, a higher level of chess. Claire is actually not bad if he gives himself time. I think he finds it he finds it harder at sort of quick time. Yeah, when you, you you know when you've got five ten minutes for all your all your moves, that's. That that makes I I I would be pretty confident about like walloping him in a match at that speed. But when he's got like a day or two to think about the moves, it, it's it's a lot closer. He's he's actually pretty good. So that's comedians playing chess, and also at Nick Doody on Twitter. If I'm uh, right. yeah, and you can find us at Probably Science individually at Andy T Wood, who will be back next week, and at Matt Kirshen probablyscience.com is the website where we list all of our stories and the notes from the shows and also our PayPal and Patreon donation links. Thank you so much for everyone who supports the show like that. Probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. Beth and Nick, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. 
listeners see you next time and beth i'll see you in five and a half days let's start walking <laughs> Brilliant. i'll see you in hell <laughs> oh is that what's between us yeah yeah that's yeah <laughs> bye bye